Welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network recap for UFC 292, Sterling versus O'Malley. I'm your host, Sherdog Senior Editor Ben Duffy. With me this evening, uh, substituting for Keith Schillen, who is on the premises at TD Garden in Boston this evening. Maybe we'll hear a little from him later. But uh, stepping in for him once again is the capable Devin Tejada, uh, host of Check the Kick on the Sherdog Podcast. Uh, radio network and my periodic co-host on these uh recaps and previews dev how you doing tonight dev you're still muted okay well now that i'm here um i'm doing well we got a lot of pretty bad forest fires up in the pacific northwest that i'm hopefully dodging um besides that i am doing well pretty cool fight card tonight Pretty cool fight card indeed. Uh, let's start with the main event. Obviously, uh, Aljamain Sterling looking to move into sole possession of the UFC record for most title defenses by a men's bantamweight champ. Uh, standing in his way was Sean O'Malley. We had an intriguing fight, looked like on our hands after one, and then it was over in a matter of seconds as O'Malley blisters the champ with a uh, fallback right uh cross drops him swarms with punches and then we have a stoppage obviously the stoppage was the subject of immediate controversy some people thought it was way too quick other people thought it was appropriate if you're in the chat right now first of all thank you i know we're starting a little later than usual but uh thanks for hanging with us as always let us know what you thought of the stoppage in the main event uh too quick completely appropriate too close to tell let us know and uh dev tell me what you think i mean if you're the ufc you're not mad about it um for sure this is exactly what the ufc wanted how and do you feel about it for me i don't i don't care i'm fine with it you know the the shot was clean the initial shot that hurt him was clean um there was plenty of ground and pound strikes that were pretty clean I thought he was just going to let him back up and do it again. Um, but e either way, like it, it was pretty, the first round was very close. I'm curious to see how everyone scored it. The second round, he defended the takedown, got Aljamain to overcommit one time, hit him with that pullback counter right straight down the pipe. And I mean, it's a really clean performance. Like it, what? it was I mean, clean. Like there's, there's no asterisks in this. Like this isn't the Petrion fight. I mean, I think there's a case to be made that the stoppage was too sure. early. Sure, sure. I mean, a a knockout occurs when one fighter cannot defend themselves. A technical knockout occurs when one fighter is not defending themselves. I mean, it is obviously open for interpretation whether you think uh, Sterling was just on his way to turtling and wasn't going to defend himself anymore, or you thought he was moving, trying to survive, gather his wits, grab a desperation single or, or something. I mean, my problem with it really is that the way the fight ended kind of shortchanges everybody, O'Malley included, because all we should be talking about right now is the massive upset, the incredible one punch that kind of turned the fight on its head and obviously what should be next for both guys. And instead we can't do this fight justice without talking about the stoppage. So I do think it shortchanges everybody just a little bit. I'll watch it 
I'm sure I'll watch it many more times sure. before I form a final opinion. But off the cuff, fight that ended 15 or 20 minutes ago, I'm like, if you think O'Malley was just going to plunk him three more times in the head and then he was going to stop moving, then should have let him do that. Um, but, you know, I imagine debate will rage about that. Uh, you mentioned that aside from that, it was a, a clean fight. What did you take out of the first round? Like, what did you think about it? I think Aljamain was really, really confused by the range and the feints from O'Malley. I think that just Aljamain could never really get going in this fight. Even if he won the first round on all three judges scorecards, you could have honestly scored. You could have those three judges could have scored all of it for O'Malley too. Like it was just that close of a round. Um, and then this is also one of those situations where Aljo has gotten hurt in the past and kind of had weird body language on the ground where he's on all fours, kind of bobbing his head. And this time he just paid for it. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought the, the first round was really interesting because Sterling, I mean, he, he struggled with the, the speed and the length and the footwork of O'Malley, but at the same time, I thought he came in with a good general game plan. And I think, uh, Ray Longo is generally good at helping his fighters with adjustments in between rounds. Like just sure. the fact that, I mean, Sterling came in and this isn't a big change for him because Sterling's uh, offense on the feet has always been extremely kick heavy. I mean, he's just never been much of a sure. puncher, but it's interesting how much it took away from uh, O'Malley's ability to do what he wants because most of O'Malley's really deadly counters come off of his opponent's missed punches and the one that ended the fight did it reminded me i mean if i can go back a decade plus it reminds me of shogun versus machida like yeah. the, the the first fight whether you scored it for shogun personally and you thought it was a huge robbery or whatever uh whoever won the fight shogun hit machida cleanly more than all of his previous opponents together and it was clearly because he and uh, Rafael Cordero had watched tape on Machida and said all of his best counters were off his opponent's punches. So we're just going to go out and kick this guy. And uh, it gave a whole different challenge to, to Machida. I, I saw a little bit of that dynamic here where O'Malley was doing all the right things, but the openings that he was used to seeing weren't necessarily there. I, I just felt like we were watching the beginning of a fantastic chess match. Uh, you know, it, was interesting that uh, O'Malley's first two takedown attempts, the one late in the first round, the one in the second round went nowhere. Like I, I was, I mean, were we about to see a fight where uh, Sterling was just stuck on the feet and was going to get uh, blown up, whether it was in the second round or the, or the fourth or the fifth round? I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm just kind of now lamenting some of the cool stuff we didn't get to see, but yeah, what we did get to see was the coronation of a new champ. And however long that lasts, maybe the ascension of a new superstar and that may outlast, you know, his title reign, whatever it ends up being. <sighs> what? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm still kind of picking my brain here. It's this, I like you texted me in the sure dog slack and you were like, yeah, I'll talk to you in about a half hour. And I was assuming, I was assuming you assumed that this fight was going to end early. And I was probably thinking you were thinking Sterling was going to go out there and sub him. Yeah. And that's what I thought too. I told my chick, I'm like, Hey, this fight will be over soon. You know, I'll let the dogs out, whatever. It's going to be five more minutes, you know? Um, and that's kind of exactly what happened, but the exact opposite, 
it was a pretty telling moment where Aljamain tried to pressure and cut off O'Malley against the cage. And O'Malley was just able to use his footwork, shoot left, shoot right, and then just get out of there and just get out of dodge. And I think it just his O'Malley's just athleticism and footwork gave Aljamain a lot of problems where he could just get out of dodge where where Alja was able to cut the cage off and corner people and back them into a corner and start his chain wrestling. Like he never got it done. And then, like you said, the moment where he did have that take that like immediately went, immediately went for the wrist, you know, separated his hands, cut out, lifted the leg out of the single leg, and then just got out of dodge. And if Sean O'Malley keeps fighting like this, like this dude could be a problem. I, I would, argue that i mean he already is a problem we're going to talk in just a moment here about what's next for both of these guys but sterling is not he i mean he probably isn't the best offensive wrestler in the division but he's up there and he was 0 for 2 or 0 for 3 however you want to count it against a guy in o'malley whose weakness is supposedly his defensive wrestling uh what do you think should be next for these guys Are, are you thinking well and in the chat as well, I, I know we've barely gotten to any of your answers, but uh, tell us what you think should be next for these guys what, and what you think is likely to happen. Uh, do you think the UFC, with its love of immediate title rematches, is going to grant one here, especially considering that you know there is a certain amount of controversy? Or do you think they're going to just be like, okay, on to the next thing for both these guys? Uh, so let us know what you think. Uh, and tell me what you think, Dev. Uh, what should be next? What will be next? I don't think the UFC is going to be really quick to rematch these dudes. And if I was Sean O'Malley holding the belt, I wouldn't be too quick looking for a rematch either. Um, we all heard the crowd saying, F Aljo, you can probably go on to social media and find the comment section on some post where there's a pretty general consensus that like not everyone likes Aljamain Sterling. And I feel like a lot of people like Cheeto. I feel like they can... It seems like O'Malley wants that one back. And I kind of think that in a in 2023 in the UFC, Corey Sanhagen is sitting in the crowd with his arm in a cast. Um, Marab's out there, which is a fight that makes sense too. But um, I think that they should just do the Cheeto fight. Screw it. You know, it's, it's far back in the rankings, but – and that's going to be a fun fight. Those two dudes are going to sit in front of each other and strike. Yeah, I mean – for me, I the UFC, if if it wants a a prolonged Sean O'Malley title reign, maybe Vera is what you do. Like you say, sure. Vera can wrestle, but he's definitely no Aljamain Sterling, and he's more likely to try to oblige with a, a blood and guts battle. Sure. Off the cuff, I would heavily favor O'Malley in that fight, considering that Cheeto kind of got outclassed by Corey Sandhagen. But at the same time, man, Vera has won, what, <laughs> two fights in a row now? Or, yeah. or, did, or was the, the Sandhagen fight his last fight? He's won one San, fight. Sandhagen and Pedro. The way that he might be the one dude that can just take that pullback right and not even be phased by it, though. And that's what right. makes it interesting. Well, I mean, it makes it interesting, but it's not the UFC's job to try and you know, find the right fighter to dethrone the champ, I think it's to serve up the most deserving contender. Sure. At this point, Marab has won nine it's fights Marab. in a row. It's Marab. I, he's won nine fights in a row. You can make a decent case that he should, it should be 
11 in a row in the UFC and 17 in a row because he lost his first two fights in the UFC, but one was a split decision that most people seem to score sure. for him. And the second one was the weird technical buzzer beating submission against Ricky Simone. Mm-hmm. But even if you concede that those are valid losses for him, he's won nine in a row. If he doesn't get the next title shot, we riot. And Keith Keith isn't here, and I wouldn't be rioting in Rhode Island anyway, so he's not going to be the one tear gassing me. We riot. Uh, I like Marabu. I think he's probably, I mean, we're not supposed to play favorite, but I think he might be my favorite bantamweight on the UFC roster right now. Um, number one, he's just crazy. Who knows what he's doing in this exact moment? He's probably like on the 30th story of the building that they're all staying at whatever hotel. And he's like walking outside the balcony, um, doing something weird, but he's also just so much fun. And yeah, I, I mean, him and O'Malley would be, can he stop Marab's? constant stickiness well and <laughs> so a couple people in the chat have made the point that o'malley just got a title shot in his first five round fight and it ended in the second round even if he can stop marab's takedowns in the first and second round marab might have the best gas tank in mma like nobody's been able to stop marab in rounds four and five uh <laughs> yeah it's- and that's fun. Um, it, there's bantamweight is probably the best division in the UFC right now, um, in my opinion. And you can, I mean, you can shuffle the deck and get any fun matchup, especially with Sean O'Malley, a guy like him. His fights are fun. He doesn't have bad fights, like him or hate him. A lot of people don't like him. I kind of come around on him. Um, and this, if you don't, if you don't like Sean O'Malley and you didn't think he was good and you didn't think he deserved it, this fight tonight, you know, kind of proves otherwise. Yeah, I. He's absolutely uh, elite. He is. He is elite. He's one of the best strikers in the sport right now. And he is brimming with confidence. He is in a camp that clearly has him well prepared for the task ahead of him because on paper, Sterling was a daunting stylistic matchup, just a very persistent takedown artist who doesn't punch much and might be the best back control specialist in MMA now that like Damian Maya and Juicy Formiga have have kind of faded away. Like that sounds like a nightmare match for O'Malley and O'Malley plunked him. Uh Yeah, what do you do next with Sterling? He said he was going to go kind of regroup and think about things deciding whether he wants to move up to 145 or stay at 135. Uh he I mean he I thought he gave a very measured thoughtful he did. Uh, post-fight mm-hmm. interview and but I know that on an emotional level, he isn't going to want to leave this division on a loss. And just with that feeling like he got chased out of it by, by the new breed. So if he stays at 135, what do you do with the guy next? Just based on the way the UFC operates, I do think if anyone deserves a rematch, it's probably someone like him. However, I just don't think, I don't think Sean O'Malley, the UFC is going to let him pick. We know this. The UFC is going to, you know, probably be pretty favorable in his next matchup for a title shot just because they're going to try to squeeze as much juice out of him as possible. Um, so I don't think a rematch is going to be in play, however deserving Aljamain might be for it. Um, I feel like you can match almost either one of these guys up with Cheeto at this point, honestly. That's like a fight that hasn't happened and they both have fought everybody. Um, and I think for Sterling, with his marketability and his past, I think it's going to be really hard with his age for him to fight his way back into the title picture um, at 135. And at 145, he said it best. He said, if I got, 
you know, knocked out by this dude. What's Volkanovsky going to do to me? Right. Which is, I mean, is what he said in, you know, uh, in his post fight interview, bad things after what I saw tonight, terrible things. I think Volk would do to him. Uh, I mean, I, I tend to agree, but that's more down to Alexander Volkanovsky is the best fighter in the sport right now. Uh, so and maybe ever. I, I, that's a longer discussion, but, uh, I, I'm certainly willing to call him, you know, uh, the, the best guy out there right now. Uh, any other general thoughts about this, you know, uh, about this title fight shocker before we move on to the co-main event? I think this is maybe best case scenario. If you're a, a UFC fan where this might just make the bantamweight division, just this much more interesting. It's already been great. Um, but I think this just makes it a little bit more interesting. And I didn't love Aljamain not, you know, being willing to go to 145 or leave after this, after he talked about it so much, he was still on the fence all, th all through fight week. Um, so this result forces his hand. And now we have a, one of the biggest stars in MMA as the champ. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the UFC as a promotion obviously loves it when it's most popular fighters, achieve big things when, you know, when, when there's as much overlap as possible between the most popular fighters and the best fighters, you know, they're not doing stuff like trundling the corpse of, of, you know, Nate Diaz out in front of us, uh, you know, for entertainment uh, in the co-main events, less, uh, definitely less controversy, not, not, a, not a whole lot of controversy going on as uh, Whaley Zhang absolutely put the wood to Amanda Lamos for, uh, for five rounds. Uh, I scored this one 50 to 44, but this is about as lopsided a 50, 44 fight as I could remember. I, I said after the third round, this is about as lopsided a fight as I can remember only, you know, quote unquote, only scoring 30, 27 through three rounds. Uh, how'd you score it? What takeaways did you have from this one? Zhang Weili has got, she is one of the only women that I have seen in the ufc that has like this elite level of athleticism strength and power that can combine it with cardio she reminds me of marab we we're talking about marab like maybe a little bit defensively porous with the boxing um even the little tiny bits of boxing that they had on the feet lemos did land a lot of clean shots hurt you know whaley it's really reminded me of the gdr and amanda nunez second fight were like the tiny little moments on the feet, you know, GDR was having success, but when it was on the ground, I mean, and Lemos just didn't, her problem was she was conceding back, just conceding being on her back and not scrambling the minute the takedown started. Um, she was letting the takedown happen and then trying to, you know, get submissions or fight her way back to the feet. It, it does leave me wondering whether she and her, corner were surprised by how much Zhang wrestled I this was the I mean Zhang Weili wrestling was the key to winning this fight I said it in my breakdown where she just should go out here and wrestle Lemos because boxing with Lemos I picked Lemos in this fight because I thought Lemos would just be able to make it a brawl and I thought Zhang Weili would oblige um and she didn't really high fight IQ from Zhang Weili um got her tired and then that's when she started you know she she knew that hey i can't i don't know if i want to box with this girl but fourth round fifth round starts landing her boxing get, knocks her down um this is just a one-sided ass whooping 
It really was. Uh, <laughs> one foot out the door makes the point that uh, I assume he's talking about Lamos here through yep. single strikes, almost no combos. I completely agree. And uh, one, when you are concerned about the level change or when you're just concerned about the, the counter punch coming back your way, that will tend to scare a fighter into throwing single strikes. It also may have been an indication that she as, well, I mean, fair play, Lemos as one of the hardest one punch hitters in that division was kind of banking her slim hopes on catching uh, Zhang with a single fight altering punch, but she had five rounds to try it and really never came close. I, I mean, the punch stats are overrated, but hearing that Zhang outlanded Lemos 288 to 21 like 21 significant strikes across five rounds is miserable. Uh, I mean, she had a it's bad. Yeah. Like, she had a moment just... of hope with the first Bravo choke attempt off her back. Like that actually made Jong stop, gather herself, actually counter the move instead of just kind of continuing to punch Lemos and, and muscle her way out of it. Like she did the second and third attempts, but that was about 10 seconds of peril. And Zhang probably still won that 60-second block of the fight. Like, Zhang won every minute of this fight. At this point, I, I think it's fair to ask you and to ask uh, our friends in the chat just some superlative questions about Weili Zhang. It's weird to ask this about a fighter who's 0-2 against Rose Nami Yunus, but is she the best straw weight we've ever seen? Probably because the second fight with Rose was just so damn close, you know, mm -hmm. that could have gone either way. And quite frankly, like, I mean, they can fight a third time and we can find out. I don't think Rose is up for it, um, but we could definitely find out that those two wins over her will always kind of, you know, give her a foot in the door for something like that. Um this was worse than Irene Adana and Amanda Nunes, though, wasn't it? Yeah. As far as, like, Irene seemed checked out. Lemos, you know, she just kind of got her ass kicked, but was still even, you know, defending takedowns and trying to work back to her feet, you know, through all five rounds, even in the fifth round. But this was just... What's next for Whaley here? Like, Well, that's what I was going to ask you, because like, here... You, you ready for some some like some ugly forecasting Whaley Zhang is 34 years old, which normally in a lighter weight division, like 115 for women is it makes you start thinking, okay, when's the fall off going to come? When's the next wave of young guns going to come up? But in our straw weight top 15, the only like Mackenzie Dern and Luana Pinheiro are both 30. The rest of them are all effectively, Zhang, same age or older. Yeah. Yan Xiaonan, Rose Nami Yunus, Jessica Andrade, but I, all of them, uh, Marina Rodriguez, Lemos herself, they're all 33, 34, 35. How old Who's is Tatiana the, Suarez? Tatiana Suarez is uh, 32 or 33 and has come back from like cancer and neck fusion surgery. So, I mean, and might not, I mean, she beat Jessica Andrade, but I think Whaley's improving. Like, 
that's what I'm really noticing here. Like her, her ability to the way, the Whaley that fought tonight is very different than the one that got into that crazy brawl with Ioana in their first fight. Yeah. Ag- agreed. Uh, she should have done that. She could have done this to Ioana. And I think her initial switch to Henry's camp really like showed her like, Hey, you're a super athlete. That's super strong with amazing cardio. Like you should really be pressing, pressing the control grappling and go punch people's heads off with ground and bound. Like it's just, this is a style that's going to give so many people problems, especially with our cardio. I agree. And it's interesting because all that's really changed about Zhang in her run in the UFC. I mean, this was her 10th or 11th UFC fight. All that's really changed is her confidence and her poise and her game planning. The tools are all the same. Like her first couple fights in the UFC, like, you know, uh, Danielle Taylor and whoever her second fight was, she was already mixing wrestling with her striking. She like, it's the same basic tool set, but she manages her gas tank better now. Like she's learned how to win rounds and win them in dominant fashion without getting tired first. Uh, She's still, I mean, she still can be hit squarely, but she's a lot more buttoned up defensively than she was a couple years ago. And durable as shit. And she is super durable. Like her Lemos is the hardest puncher in that division. And Lemos landed clean shots on her. And even though there's only 20 something of them, like those shots would have hurt a lot of other chicks. And she just kind of shook them off and, and yeah. kept fighting. Like I, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. A, a couple people in the, the chat have pointed out that Rose Nami Yunus's next she fight is. is booked at 125, which that's great. You know, uh, athleticism her her sheer physical horsepower because she's not that big she's short and compact i mean she was visibly smaller than lamos she is so <laughs> powerful and so explosive yeah. the, the way she fought against lamos and the way she fought against as far as like the way she's looked recently it's not an exact one-to-one comparison but it reminds me of what it was like watching kamara usman during his title run where I'm way stronger than you. I'm probably faster than you. I have a shockingly good gas tank for how I look and how I fight. And I don't have any real weaknesses. If I need to wrestle, I'll wrestle you. If I need to strike with you, I'll hurt you. She's, she's absolutely frightening right now. Her worst, her, the worst facet of her game is her boxing defense Mm-hmm. And there's no one at 115 that's been able to really make her pay for it besides Rose landing one flash head kick. And that was just kind of a, I mean, something at kicking range, not even in the boxing range. Yeah. Um, and if she fights like this, it doesn't matter. She's going to kick you from the outside and then crush you with chain wrestling. And then when she, she, I, I love, I love her ground and pound in transitions. Like, you're trying to get up. Okay, cool. You're giving me your back. I'm just going to I'm just going to punch you 12 times behind the ear and then now you're going to have to roll into a bad position. Now you're going to have to just go back to your back because you're getting punched behind the ear. Like it, she's just smart as shit. Like it's it's she's a problem, man. I I mean, I always thought Tatiana Suarez would be a, a problem for her, but I don't know. <laughs> well, here's here's a question. Even knowing what we know about who else is in this division, is Weili Zhang the best wrestler at 115? Yeah, definitely like the most punishing. Like, uh, I'm, 
I imagine she'll be fighting Tatiana Suarez sooner rather than later, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Suarez is going to be able to get takedowns every time she wants. And I'm not dead sure that Zhang won't be able to take down Suarez if she wants to. And obviously Suarez is a much more credentialed wrestler. She had a lengthy sure. amateur career. She was a world, literally world-class wrestler. And she is big and, and very strong, but Zhang's strength is like a different thing. Uh, Have you seen that video of her like kind of hitting that like duck under high crotch on Francis real yes. quick and just yep. like picking him up like nothing? Mm -hmm. There was a video I watched yesterday. Uh, Zhang Weili, she had a, like a translator there. She was here in America at some gym. She was jump roping and the coach goes up to her and she goes, how much have you jump roped? She goes, I count to 5,000. She counts 5,000 jumps. Like that's how focused, like that's how concentrated um, her composure is just different. Um, yeah. And she's getting better. Like, yeah, she's 34, but it doesn't, there are certain people and certain athletes that come once in a, you know, once in a while where stuff like that just doesn't matter. Agreed. And she, I mean, she is 34 years old. She has a lot of fights. I mean, she has 10 or 11 fights in the UFC, but she already came into the UFC. I think she was like 19 and two or something like that. Like she'd already had a lot of fights and some of her fights in the UFC have been complete domination. Others have been wars. I mean, she has taken a beating a few times, so she may be one who looks incredible until she doesn't. And then all the sure. wheels fall off at once, but that day is not today. Uh, what, do, what do you do with Zhang next? Oh man. Um, Again, Rose is fighting Madame Furo, even though I think that fight's kind of always there for her as long as, you know, she's not going on a Tony Ferguson-type streak. That'd be Rose. Um, maybe Tatiana Suarez? I think that would be okay. Um, if Mackenzie Dern got an important win in the near future, that would be probably something that the UFC might want to do, or Jan Zanon. I know the UFC is really eager to do something with that um so they're always known for you know taking their toys and bashing them against each other that being two chinese fighters yeah i mean if if the ufc can put together an event in china and actual fucking china not another event in sure. macau or singapore or you know hong kong like actual well no hong kong is, is actual china at this point yeah if they can do one in actual china then i would say yeah. Zhang versus Yan sounds brilliant. Otherwise, I have my little notes here, like next matchups, and it was the same no matter who won. Like my, my next is Lemos versus Yan and Zhang versus Suarez. And I put that out, you know, before knowing who was going to win the fight. So I, I like Zhang versus Suarez. I think Suarez has to jump the line a little bit just because you, you know that the clock is ticking there. And the eyeball test whom she's beaten and how she's made it look. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if they make the yawn fight, I'm not mad at that. If I mean, I, I don't know if Mackenzie Durham will ever win enough fights in a row to make herself an undeniable title challenger. Sure. I think she's always going to win two, lose one, win three, lose one. So she's just gonna, the UFC is just going to have to strike while the iron is hot. Somebody's injured. She gets the call she does something really remarkable and you know, they, they decide to push her to the front of the line. I don't know what people think would happen. I, 
Jong, I mean, we've already established that Jong is probably the most dominant woman in the sport right now, but in particular against Dern, that is just an absolutely hideous style matchup. Like, oh. just like uh... Dern just stuck at the end of punching range against Zhang. Just sounds oof, horrible. And yeah, and as good as, as she might, it could look similar how like the Amanda Hibosh fight looked with her with Dern, but like with a little more punishment. Cause I don't, I, yeah, I don't except, think Zang would be scared to go down there with her. He bus, he bus is nice. And, and John so was Zang Wei Li. Once they close <laughs> the, the cage door, she is not, not when they close. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mm -mm. Uh, she's, she's so likable too. Like who doesn't like, like who doesn't like Zang Wei Li? Like she's trying English. Like who doesn't like her? She's super likable. She works I, hard. I like her just fine. Me too. I and I think you can make a solid case that she's fighting better than any woman in the sport right now. Yeah. Just, um before that, I mean we had back-to-back -back candidates for beatdown of the year, as in the feature Jeez. fight of the night. Ian Gary took on short notice opponent Neil Magny. Unlike most Magny fights, and hell, unlike most Gary fights, this one had a little bit of chippiness going on all throughout fight week i mean normally magni is just a real low-key respectable guy i mean he first came to everybody's attention as one of the only people on his season of tough who wasn't like a, a spastic asshole and then gary obviously brimming with confidence normally but uh just appeared to have some issue with magni <laughs> once the cage door closed this was some one-way traffic uh how did you score it um, or, or, or I mean, were you actively scoring it? I know you were kind of in the in the scoring jam with us, but I, I am. Um, I watched this whole entire fight card a lot more like a fan tonight. Um, definitely, you could throw a ten eight in there for the third round. Um, it was a thirty twenty four, right? There Didn't was a thirty twenty four. That was courtesy of um, a local Massachusetts ref who only gets the call when you know, major promotions are, are in New England, but he yeah, don't call gave, him again. <laughs> he gave Gary eight rounds in all three rounds. I gave Gary a 10, eight second round. Uh, I saw plenty of people give Gary a 10, eight third round. I don't know if a 10, eight first round is justifiable. It just, it, it's not, it isn't. No, it, it, it isn't. Uh, 10, eight rounds are supposed to be the most lopsided 5% of rounds. Like if you score every fight for a year, about 5% of them should be 10, eight rounds and this was that that first round was not yeah and if you score the first round of 10 8 then you like how do you score the second round well yeah at that point that you know what i mean well, that, <laughs> and which is why that judge gave three 10 8 rounds because he was kind of roped into it because it only got more lopsided uh, <laughs> yeah um they definitely did a lot of tape study on that on on that santiago ponzinibbio fight and that's kind of what i said going into this fight um, I thought he was just going to leg kick him, corner him against the cage. And, and I thought he was going to have a little more success with the boxing. Like, he should have kind of let his hands rip a little bit more and maybe punch the body a little bit more, Neil, cause him to drop his guard and then go up top. Um, Gary just doesn't have um, the most impressive, like, cornering footwork and cage-cutting footwork when he has someone skirting against the cage. He would leg kick Neil. Neil would, you know, go off to the right side, kind of circle away from his power, and – 
Gary just couldn't catch him. I thought he would maybe, you know, try to cut an angle and throw like a looping hook to, to maybe corner him with a big hook or something like that. Um, either way, he did. I mean, he beat the crap out of Neil Magny here. Neil he Magny, like his legs are, I mean, yeah, God, they're going to be bad tomorrow. They are going to be bad tomorrow. Uh, Magny obviously picked up the bag once again. He has been, hey, look at that. Uh, <laughs> he has been the, the king of fighting anyone, anywhere, anytime for, you know, going on 10 years now. And he's at the stage of his career where a contender run is probably not in the card. So picking up as many bags as possible is the name of yeah. the game. Uh, as far as Gary goes, uh, Jade Bunk uh, said in, in the chat that he's getting, he needs to step up in competition because they keep giving Gary opponents whose name value outstrips their competitive value at this point. What do you do next with Ian Gary? He just absolutely slaughtered a guy who is, I mean, probably in the 11 through 15 range at, at welterweight. Yeah. And it, it, he, he made him look like he wasn't on the top 20. Yeah. Um, Jeff Neal still makes sense. If, if, if Ian Gary would take that fight, um, a lot of people in the chatter here are saying how Gary uh, this week's been annoying. I think the thing where Neil Magny said, you know, he I don't, said he beats his kids. I don't know how, like, I think Gary really, like, picked that up and, and ran with it. You know, he's like, he says he beats his kids, you know, and, and it got pretty weird. Um, and then I didn't love the pre-fight press conference by Ian Gary, kind of just talking over him and stuff like that. He might look back at that one and say, mm, that was bad. But, um, you know, outside of all that, he did come win the fight. Next for him, I do think that uh, Jeff Neal – probably makes the most sense and they're not going to make him fight like Shavkat Rachmanov or, you know, and I know he went and did his camp down there where Shavkat, you know, frequents. Um, I think, I think Jeff Neal makes sense. I think that's yeah. the fight. Remaking the, the Neal fight works for me because, or I mean, obviously he called for, uh, for Stephen Thompson. And you know what? Stephen Thompson is still arguably the only person in the UFC that's, beaten neil in a pure striking contest like obviously yeah. Yeah, that was a couple of years ago at this point uh wonder boy has slowed a tick or two as he's uh, you know as he's come up uh, and passed 40 but i i'd love to see i mean either of those works for me as uh an appropriate next test for uh for gary especially if they do it like as a fight night main event make it a five rounder because wonder boy is still really hard to hit cleanly. He's still a tough puzzle to solve. He has about as much five round experience as you can have without having been a champ. I think we, you know, probably learn a few things about, uh, about Gary and I would be a okay with it if they remade the Neil fight. Cause again, yeah. uh, well, Neil is, What's he got wanna... going on though? What's what's the issue? Is is this like I know he's had a lot of health problems with infections and stuff like that? And I was gonna say I think it was uh like, Mer like MRSA, like methicillin resistant uh staff. So he couldn't train. I heard that. So maybe yeah. Wonder Boy, and I know Wonder Boy is looking for a big name. This is you know, Michelle Pajara just got um booked up at 
185 against Mark Andre Barriot. Um, so yeah. they forced him to go to they forced him to go to middleweight. So maybe you know this is the UFC saying, hey, you, we'll give you a shot at someone that's up and coming, but at least they're a bigger name. Um, and I'm totally okay with it being a fight night. You know, um, any of these fight night main events, I'm I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't take the Gary fight if I were Wonder Boy. Well, that's that's why he's Wonder Boy and we aren't. Uh, Wonder Boy for a guy who's and and Wonder Boy doesn't care. Uh, and he he never did care, but he especially doesn't care now because again, he's over 40, he has a limited amount of time left to make as many fight purses as he can. So, if you know, if they offer him the Gary fight, I bet he takes it. Um, just make sure, Gary, that you make weight. Holland the or the Holland JDM winner that's coming up real soon here. Depending uh, on Holland JDM, that works uh, for me. I mean, I'm always reluctant for the UFC to smash together two undefeated up and comers or effectively undefeated. I mean, Jack De La Madalena is effectively undefeated, sure, unless it's a title fight or a title eliminator. Because you know why? Why burn? You know one of those guys, but. If Delamadalena beats Holland, he's getting to the point where he is getting into the title picture. So maybe it's time to just yeah. book him against appropriate opposition, regardless, you know, of, of both guys being on long win streaks. I, I am a okay with that. Uh any other thoughts from uh our friends in the chat on next steps for Gary, other than Neil, other than Thompson, other than the uh <laughs> the Della Maddalena versus Holland winner. No, I think those all make sense for him. And, you know, if he keeps showing up and he, even though he, some people might have found him a little bit annoying, he keeps showing up, he keeps fighting like this. Like he's going to continue to get, you know, fights for it. And him calling out wonder boy, that's a ballsy move. Like not, not everyone wants that smoke as a striker. So good on him. Uh, before that, but uh, we had one of, Several short notice opponents on this card as uh, Mario Bautista took on Damon Blackshear and uh, ended up prevailing by unanimous decision 29 28, 29 28, and 30-27. Uh, if you're watching this, you already see Dev shaking his head. I also scored this fight uh, for Blackshear. I scored at 29 28 Blackshear myself in the chat. Let us know how you scored this one. Like, do we ha- have a bunch of people here who thought, you know, who were a okay with the black sheer scorecard thoughts about this one. There was a lot of wonky judging tonight, man. And I feel for a dude like black that kind of just came up out of nowhere, you know, couple not great fights to start off in the UFC. And then, you know, kind of goes on, on, a, on a tiny streak here, has a short, short notice turnaround. And I thought he won the first two rounds of this fight. Um, black is good, man. Blackshear was very good. I, I've been pleasantly surprised. Uh, he made a short notice debut. Uh, it was against Yusef Zalal a, yeah. a couple of years ago. And I remember Keith and me both saying that Blackshear is the real deal. And even if he loses this short notice uh, debut, keep an eye out for him. Cause he's somebody that, you know, I thought was probably going to at least be on the contender series later that year, if not in the UFC, you know, but he, he, fought to a draw with Zalal, and then he lost to Farid Basharat, who it turns out is a really, really good fighter. Sure. Uh, and since then, 
Blackshear's been really good. Uh, yeah, just got shafted, man. I feel for the guy. I really do think they got this one wrong. I'm not going to call it a robbery because it's close, but he definitely lost the third round. Bautista came and did what he's supposed to do. And, yeah. you know, this was a short notice opponent for both of them. Um, I just hate when I see when you know a guy that's, you know, probably getting paid. Hopefully this quick turnaround got him a new contract. Hopefully. Or or got him to the end of his current one, at least on, on a win, so he has some uh bargaining power. But you know what? I'm sure I'm I'm pretty sure it did because this was his fifth fight in the UFC, so it probably was the first fight on a new deal. And it was a week after his last one. So yeah, hopefully, yeah, he got a little extra something for, uh, you know, for his flexibility. Uh, he falls short in an attempt to, you know, set the UFC record for the shortest layoff between two wins, but he does tie the record for the, you know, shortest uh, turnaround between two fights. Another short notice uh, substitution. Before that, we had Marlon Vera versus Pedro Munoz. It wasn't quite as short a uh, notice, you know, Henry Cejudo dropped out, I think the first or second week of July. So Munoz, and, and it took him a, a minute to find Munoz. It's not like they announced the new opponent for Vera immediately, but you know, Munoz probably had a solid month to train for this. I think part of my hesitance to advance Marlon Vera in the title shot discussion, when we were talking about the Sterling and O'Malley fight is that, I didn't think Vera looked great against Munoz. Uh, I mean, let me know what you thought, but I scored this one 29-28 Munoz. And I think it it's largely because Vera didn't put his stamp on those first couple rounds. He just, he, he it felt like he was like coasting. Like he, normally, whatever his shortcomings may be, Marlon Vera does not lack for aggression. But, Munoz was the more active guy in the first two rounds. Uh, definitely out. You know, I'm, I'm definitely outlanded him in just terms of sheer volume of strikes. And if Vera was connecting with like a significant power advantage and like busting Munoz up that, you know, it, that wouldn't have meant much, but it's not like Vera was doing a ton of damage. So I give the first two rounds to Munoz. Vera definitely has that young veteran syndrome where like, if you're not, I think his durability is like becoming one of his downfalls where he is just so durable that he never realizes that he's in trouble, but like, dude, you're in trouble on the scorecards here. He is one. I mean, he might be the, like right now today, he might be the most durable dude. Just like Max Holloway and Max Holloway gets touched up and stuff. Like he bleeds. Yeah. Gino doesn't even bleed. It's the weirdest thing. I've never like, I don't know. They need to test him. He can each he's eating clean shots. And it's like, dude, you know, you can eat these shots. Like just go step when he wanted to let his jab go. He let his jab go landing clean on Pedro Munoz. When he put the right hand behind it, landing clean, snapping his head back. He, you know, had him looking in two minutes into the third round, the fight completely changed. And Absolutely. all he needed to do, like he just really, and I know him and Jason Perla work well together, but he needs to find someone that can really light a fire under his ass. Because if he goes out there and and he we know 
Cheeto can take shots from anyone in that division. He needs to just go out there and step on the gas. And he should have kicked more in this fight, too. I was very surprised. He he usually loves to throw, like, a teep kick, similar how he knocked out Frankie, a short guy that was in range. I'm surprised he didn't kick as much. Not a lot of head kicks from Cheeto in this fight, either. No. Uh, True makes a great point. Cheeto needs five-round fights. He's gotten yeah. used to it. Uh, I agree that he's got Kevlar skin. Like, the best Weird. comparison I can think of is prime BJ Penn, where he was impossible to cut and he was even kind of difficult to to really Habib? lump up uh habib too you know uh is, is uh, another one like, which is even rarer because habib is like very fair-skinned and normally you know you take a guy with that complexion and you know two jabs and he you know looks like yeah, he was yeah. inside an exploding tanning bed or something like sure red and yeah uh it just doesn't even get marked up yep not even uh, like a concussive like He's eating jabs to the nose. Mm-hmm. How, can you remember last time Cheeto bled? Someone can put it here in the chat. Yeah. Like, when was he bothered by a shot? When was the last time you've seen him physically, like, where you maybe have to reel back or reset? Like, he doesn't even, he's getting hit clean. And he doesn't even need to reset. Nope. And he's <laughs> like, one fight removed. Weird. From, he's one fight removed from getting jabbed and right crossed to death by Corey Sandhagen. And, it's not he didn't he didn't look like he he lost badly, but he did. So yeah, uh, just a, a weird fight, you know, because of the thirty twenty seven scorecard. Man, that was a little bit off. The thirty twenty seven scorecard like hurts my heart. Like and and that was not the local judge. That was either Chris Lee or Sal Diamato, just one of the UFC's usual suspects. You know, one of their was it one the of same their, one. That gave him that that scorecard on Sanhagen. Who's the who's the judge that gave the scorecard for him against Sanhagen? That's a great question. Let now now you got me curious. Now I'm gonna go look. Please, because I I mean imagine that right. Oh nope, never mind. The thirty twenty seven was uh was Nick Mahmood, who is another local okay Massachusetts guy. Either way, uh, uh, it's yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the wrong uh, scorecard in the splitter was Joel Ojeda. Great. These weird he, guys he, he's, he, he's giving a, these weird no, scorecards. Ojeda is a Texas ref. Mm-hmm. He was the one that had that scandal, wasn't he? With the submission? Nope. nope. No. Uh, okay. Uh, but he's the one who who botched that scorecard. Yeah. Uh, any other general thoughts about Vera Munoz? I mean, Vera, he get it goes down as a win for him uh, a year from he's now. He's the better fighter. I do think Cheeto is the better fighter. So I'm not upset that he won. I'm he, like, no, he's absolutely the better fighter than Munoz. But I, I mean, somebody pointed out that even though Munoz is mired in a horrible slump it's tough to look super super great against him you know he kind of he manages to slow down and discombobulate even much better fighters uh to the point that you know people have beaten them and just it it hasn't looked super clean but i i think in a crowded bantamweight division vera could have helped himself a lot by putting more of a stamp on this fight totally Mm mm-hmm 
And Munoz looked fine for his age and, you know, semi-short notice. He threw a bunch of volume, landed clean on Cheeto with no effect. But, um, yeah, Pedro's, Pedro at his age, like, give him another, out, you know, 10 to 15, dude. Probably. Uh, prior to that, we had Brad Tavares welcoming Chris Weidman back to the UFC after more than two years off due to his horrifically broken leg. And it, I mean, it looked kind of like I expected, though if I had to guess, I, I was going to guess that Tavares was going to get some kind of finish. But Weidman, I mean, he looked like a 39-year-old guy who'd been away for two-plus years. He looked rusty. He looked tentative. His wrestling looked terrible. His wrestling looked awful. I, it wasn't I know, even a takedown defense. Like, yeah, the UFC booth talked up Tavares' takedown defense, but the problem was that Weidman turned from one of the more effective offensive wrestlers in MMA history into Mackenzie Dern. Like, all of a sudden, his idea of an entry was just bending at the waist and kind of running at Tavares. Uh, yeah, of course he wasn't going to get the takedown there. Uh, it was a terrible fight. Uh, I mean, most of the suspense was just seeing yeah. whether Weidman was going <laughs> to hurt himself. But even though it, he didn't have a catastrophic injury to that leg, it clearly hurt him bad when Tavares kept kicking it. It hampered his movements. I, I mean, did you see anything out of this fight that makes you want to see Chris Weidman in the UFC cage again? No, like absolutely not. I mean, the game is just so different now. Like this this is the definition of like the game just passing you where what you did, you know, in 2015 against Vitor, like the game is just different now. Mm -hmm. Like you can't just being a super basic wrestle boxer and then getting old. He had a tiny bit of success with his boxing against Tavares, but that's just because Tavares is also shot. Like, Weidman's a shot fighter. Like, this is bad. Did you see after the fight, there was a, a couple of clips going around. He's in a wheelchair with a giant ice pack on his knee in yep. the back. Yeah, I saw Like, it. what the fuck is he doing? Like, this was bad. Like, he's got a family, and he seems to have a lot going for him. I don't even think he needed this, but maybe he did. Hopefully, he had a plan. Like, hey, I'm going to invest this money. Like, hopefully, this is a money grab for him to, to turn around and make a smart investment or something. I hope so. And while I am not privy to Chris Weidman's finances, considering that he is effectively a co-owner of, you know, Longo Weidman MMA at this point. Sure. And they are a thriving camp. I would hope that he's got enough irons in the fire that he doesn't need to fight. But, you know, as an ex-champ, if he's getting like, you know, 200 and 200 or 250 and 250, sure. then yeah, I, I guess why, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you take a, a, another fight, I guess? But uh, uh, I believe it was Tiga that said Father Time is undefeated. Is anyone really surprised? No, it's never nope. surprising. The surprise is always when somebody seems to temporarily defy Father Time. But Weidman is not going to be one of those. And honestly, even without this leg injury, we never thought he was going to be. We're talking about a guy that had neck fusion surgery by the time he was like 34. Uh, 
tons of terrible, you know, just tons of terrible injuries. And then even this leg injury, he had to go back and have it redone because it got like infected internally. They had to go, I think they probably had to replace some rods. I bet his leg started to reject the, you know, the original surgery and like crushing calf kicks, like what he got crushed with, like that just wasn't a thing in 2015. Like that is something of, it's just a different generation of them. And 2015 is not a long time ago but the game just moves so fast. And if you slow down just a hair, the game is moving at such, you know, people are just getting so much better that, you know, Tavares can just, Tavares could have had more success if he just stayed at range, crushed him with kicks and continued to back out. Like he made this fight worse than it was. And I mean, he's lucky it was Brad Tavares. He's lucky it wasn't like Hobocop. And uh, I wish I made a note of who it was, but, Big ups to whoever said in the chat a few minutes ago that Tavares fought like somebody who was desperate for a win. Like he yeah. was definitely conservative and just was like, I don't want to be the guy that lets plus 225 Chris Weidman plunk him with, you know, a, a huge hook or or out wrestle him for two rounds out of three. So even once it was really obvious that he had the fight in hand, he never, he really never did step on the gas. And I, I even at his best, he's, he's never a super prolific finisher, but yeah, th- th- I mean, a dominant performance by Tavares that could have been even more dominant and yeah. uh, made me not terribly excited to see Chris Weidman in another UFC fight, though I expect we will see him at least once more. Uh, before that, <laughs> another middleweight matchup, Gregory Rodriguez, uh, looking like Somebody photoshopped Barack Obama's head onto like, you know, a, a weirdly jacked body doing Gregory Rodriguez things again as against Dennis Tallulah. Um <laughs> How do you say his last name? Because you didn't say it like Bruce. Tulian. Tulin. Well, I am glad. <laughs> I am glad that that Bruce Buffer showed tonight that he also cannot pronounce the names of non-fighters because he was like talking about Gal Gadot. Like she's Israeli, she's not French. It's Godot. Like, Bruce, 80% of your job is pronouncing people's fucking names. How can you be so bad at it? How? But his suit looked nice. His suit did not look <laughs> nice, but tell everybody what you told me you thought his suit looked like. Um, his suit looked like the, you know, the background part of the of a Charizard Pokemon card. You know, Sorry, like the reddish holographic. Like, dude, it's August. It's like 100, well, now 127 days to Christmas, I think. Like what the hell? <laughs> like what? Like what? Like what? He looked at himself in the mirror and was like, "Okay, this is it." You know. So you know he's like he can get any suit he wants. Um, yeah, it's just too Lulin too man. Like Robocop could probably do this to like a lot more middleweights. Well, he should have been doing this. <laughs> he like Rodriguez. I mean, he he has you know, a, an actual uncontroversial uncon- loss or two in the UFC. He has, I mean, there is a cap to, you know, how far I, I think he can go, but he can do that to the Dennis Tolulans of the world for a long time. Like if you can't yeah. stop Gregory Rodriguez from taking you down, you're fucked. You're you are. Cause once they were on the ground, he could have done just about whatever he wanted. He could have choked him to sleep. Uh, the ground and pound. I mean, dude, it's been a while since we've seen a fighter <laughs> knocked stiff, like like 
clonic seizure, like toes pointed from ground and pound, mostly because we get stuff like the main event where the stoppage is on the quick side. But yeah, that it's been a while since we've seen someone that knocked out from ground and pound. That was, oof. but like, why didn't he just do this to Bruno Ferreira? Like there's, there are a lot of dudes that he can do this to. Yep. It's middleweight. Like you, like getting into brawls and knocking people out feels nice, but winning kind of flawlessly and not taking any damage and probably getting 50 K also feels pretty nice because like, that's how you, when you're just so good at something and you, and you, you know, fight with your, it's just like fighting with your plan B first over and over again. He's such a powerhouse. And I really don't like um, how DC was calling that first initial ground and pound shot illegal. Like he is the, the, the MMA law. Hey, you know what? It's not really his job to, he's not the MMA law. I'm not the MMA law either, but I know the MMA law because again, I went to the association of boxing commissions, uh, training for refs and judges last summer and i aced the test back of the head you ready gonna make it real simple find the occipital uh junction it's the knob on the back of your head north of that it's everything behind the ears south of that it is a two-inch strip down the middle now it's more difficult to say whether a particular blow landed in that area when you've got all these moving parts, but the actual rule, pretty simple. But in this particular case, it may have been borderline, but it definitely wasn't intentional. Again, if your opponent is moving yeah, and you're moving, collisions are, are going to happen. And I just don't think it mattered. Rodriguez no. stapled this man. I, this far of a difference either way was really going to make a difference on how concussive that elbow really was. Yeah. It it's not. And I, I just don't like when the commentary does stuff like that, where they um like, Hey, you're not part of the athletic commission. So your job would be to report that after the athletic commission says it's an illegal blow, yeah. not to tell everyone it is because then it kind of discounts what public cop truly did. Um, I think it's just not all the way fair for him. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how uh, Denise Tululin did in third grade, but I am happy that the ref, you know, like saved his memory of third grade because that would have been the next thing to go if one more elbow had landed. Uh, I mean, any other thoughts uh, about this one? These guys are who we thought they were. Rodriguez was a three and a half to one favorite for a reason. All right. No. Cool. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, before that, the second of the two tough 31 finals, Kurt Hollibaugh and Austin Hubbard in the lightweight final. These two gentlemen, of course, both UFC retreads. They made this season uh bantamweight slash lightweight season where some new prospects fought alongside fighters who had already been in the UFC before. Kurt Hollibaugh, and I said this on the preview, uh, Kurt Hollibaugh was 0-4 in the UFC coming into this. He's a 36-year-old man. He's old enough and he's old school enough that he originally came to the UFC with the Strike Force acquisition. Like he came to the UFC with Daniel Cormier and Luke Rockhold. Like 
Hullabot, now that he's back in the UFC, he and Bobby Green are the only people from the Strike Force acquisition left on UFC roster. Uh, and then he also came to the UFC through the first season of Dana White's Contender Series. But he was 0-4 in multiple tries with the promotion. And before doing tape study on this fight, I mean, I'm glad I did tape study because I was about to just pencil in Hubbard as my pick, like just sight unseen. It's like, I've seen these guys fight a lot. Then I watched their actual fights on tough and Holobot looked good. Dude, he's I, I thought his, I thought his semifinal against Jason Knight looked pretty damn good. And I thought it was kind of a clue to how he would look against uh, Hubbard. Yeah, I mean, until the main event, I had a perfect night of picks. And, you know, this was an upset pick that Keith and I agreed on. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought Holobot looked good. 155 is a tough division to do work in, especially, again, if you're 36 when you're entering. And you know you got to string together six or seven wins even to get a sniff of the top 15. But he's going to be a good addition for however long uh, he sticks around. Did you have any uh, major takeaways from this fight? His jab cross was giving Hubbard all the problems in the world. Um, that transition from armbar to triangle was a thing of beauty. And he's always been a BJJ guy. You know, that's kind of how even against... First off, I want to say that the real trophy for him through this whole tough season was causing Connor to crumble to his knees after submitting his like number one prospect slash best friend. Um, the little clip of that, the, the submission, and then it panning to Connor and him just crumbling to his knees like he he found out his parent died or something like that. Um, <laughs> was this whole season? I don't know how much of it you watched. Um, I definitely tried to catch all the fights at least, but. There is Connor just pacing around the apex. You know, it's like at least a hundred degrees in Vegas. He, he like you ever put a chicken in the oven and then check it like 30 minutes in when it's not fully cooked, but you could tell it's definitely hot in there. That's how Connor looked in that suit pacing around the apex, you know, <laughs> like he it's just all like kind of tight red faced and God, this whole season, like he was just getting dunked on this whole season. Um, and Holobot definitely, you know, really dunked on his guy there. Good fight from Holobot. Like, he, he's – his hands, like, his boxing. Like, his boxing and straight punches, his power is good. His combination punching, he finds his range right away. Um, He's got killer instinct. Like, Holobot is probably never going to be in the top 15. Maybe possibly he can work his way up there. But there's dudes like, you know, Ignacio Bahamandes and, and, and dudes like that that he can make a hell of a ton of fun fights with. Yeah, like fun matchups abound. Like I it's again there are probably 60 lightweights in the UFC right now. It's one of the most crowded divisions. It's one of the divisions where you have to do the most to get ranked. So, you ask me anybody, you know, and I'm probably going to bet against them being a a future top 10 fighter. Uh all about no exception. If he does, that'll be one of the more remarkable mid-career turnarounds in MMA history, but he's going to like, hopefully, you know, hopefully he sticks around for a couple of years, picks up sure. a few purses, picks up a few bonuses, gives us some good entertainment. Uh, the UFC needs mid-card fighters. And you know what? Consider how much the UFC wants to bank on Patty Pimlet as a future star. And Pimlet is basically Jason Knight with a terrible haircut. Like Holobaw, I think would do the exact same thing to him. And I just called Holobaw a guy that's never going to get ranked. Like, 
there, there's yeah. stuff out there for him to do. Uh, no, yeah. Like him and Joel Alvarez would be a really fun fight. Yep. Why not? You know, stuff like that. And sure. he, and if, if you are the UFC and Dana White, like the, this result tonight, these two back-to-back fights, like, you know, we'll talk about the Bantamweight one here in a second, but you, you got to be really happy after Juliana Miller's, Juliana Miller's performance last week. Like these two dudes definitely should be able to do a little bit more than her. Yeah. At a minimum. <laughs> and, and, and a minimum uh rc kim is slaying me in the chat right now talking about doing a true legend season of tough where you're bringing in <laughs> like yeah like bring back eddie alvarez oh, bring in diego sanchez and bj penn i i mean wherever he is right now like sam alby's ears just per- perked up and turned redder yeah like i bring in kenny florian you know leave the pfl desk and come back to the tough house um but bring them more than just booze like other recreational things (laughs) let them just just go crazy oh i mean the idea of like a bunch of like extremely washed 43 year old former ufc contenders and champs just tripping on mushrooms and getting in fights sounds incredible to me, but we can't talk about that. We have to talk about the Bantamweight final of tough 31, which featured two more UFC retreads in uh, Cody Gibson and Brad Katona. This is a fight that Keith and I didn't even preview because while I had, I'm I favored Gibson in his semifinal and I heard some noises that he was, you know, in Boston but you know we couldn't officially preview Katona versus Gibson, but uh, we got a hell of a fight. We got a fight that a number of people on social media in real time were comparing to the Forrest Griffin versus Stefan Bonner light heavyweight final of the very first Ultimate Fighter. Were you one of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. Amplify your your answer or like amplify your your reaction for me. Like, what do you think of the fight? This is a damn good fight. Like, I, I loved. Brad Katona seems like a, a guy that's kind of hard to like, especially if you watch this past season. Um, but either way, like, good fight. Um, I love how Cody Gibson just kind of walked him down and was just like, I'm going to come stay in the pocket with you. And tons of even exchanges. Uh, Gibson just kind of, you know, the wind kind of came out of his sails there in the third round, and he kind of walk, walked onto a lot of big shots. Um, Brad Katona's cardio held held tough um as soon as katona couldn't get that like his, his takedown game going it, they just decided to make it a brawl and you know both of them had large hematomas on their face gibson's eye was was it right eye left eye swollen all effed up and the left side of katona's head you know he, he had something going on there um and this was just a brawl like this was just a i mean I kind of hope they they throw Cody Gibson a bone here after this. I honestly, I kind of do too, because I made this point on the preview. I, I actually talking about Hollabaugh uh, and Hubbard, not this fight, but I said both these guys are better than, than some of the chumps that they are signing out of Dana White's contender series, where they're just signing totally. like six and one people that got a knockout of another terrible fighter. But if you finish someone on the contender series, you're in. They're definitely better than a lot of those guys. I feel the same way about uh, Cody Gibson. Here, 135 is, if anything, an even tougher 
ladder to climb these days than 155. I, it's yeah. I mean, this was a real fun fight. Comparing it to Griffin Bonner one is always going to be a little unfair to the newer fight because one, we've come to expect a higher standard, sure, of just technically than we did in two thousand five, and then two, just it'll never be as cool as the original where. You're watching it on, on when you're watching it on Spike TV in real time and you can't believe what the hell you're seeing. And you either have a new obsession or you're like me and you're like, oh man, my thing's about to become everybody's thing, isn't it? Like, yeah, I mean, we'll never have that again. But no. for a, was this a 2023 Bantamweight analog for that fight? Sure. It was sure. a, an untechnical brawl that was a whole hell of a lot of fun while it lasted, but probably is not going to get these guys into the UFC Hall of Fame. No. And you know what? Like, Terrence Mitchell is about to fight Raul Rosas Jr. If Terrence Mitchell can get two fights in the UFC, like, Cody Gibson's got to get a shot. You know, like, the poor, you know, to, to put on a fight like this, he's definitely probably on the, you know, on the short list for a phone, for a, a phone call, at least. Um, this is a good, and I loved, um, Conor McGregor's tweet after this team McGregor winning the ultimate fight. <laughs> oh God, it cracked me. I was audibly laughing. Um, and Katona looked good, man. Like you can't knock either one of these guys. Nope. Ironically, Cody Gibson's UFC debut was against Aljamain Sterling. It was both of their, uh, UFC debut. So maybe, weird, right? Maybe maybe we need the rematch now. Like Sterling Gibson too. They meet in the middle. <laughs> uh maybe not. Before that, uh Gerald Mearshart, seeing if he could do Gerald Mearshart things to Andre Petrosky. He almost did. <laughs> he he had he had his moments where he, he could have done the thing. Uh this was a fun fight, too. Uh Nice thing to learn about Andre Petrosky, and it's something that we're continuing to learn, is that despite looking the way he does, does, and he's a jacked guy, and despite the way he fights, which involves not only a lot of wrestling and grappling, but of the of the kind that typically drains a fighter's gas tank quickly. Like sure. he's a power guy when he uh when he wrestles and, and when he grapples. Uh his submissions are of the squeeze until your head pops off variety, which if they work great, if they don't uh, work, you're in trouble. At this point, I mean, he's 10 and one. He's won five straight in the UFC. At 185, that's a wide open enough division that he's probably going to get a ranked guy in his next fight. I can see what his ceiling is going to be. And uh, True kind of pointed it out. Uh, he's a willing striker, but he's pretty slow on the feet. His, his hands are a little slow. His footwork's a little slow. People that can fight off the takedown, I, I think are going to have a pretty good time with him. But man, he's, he was whiffing on some big shots in the early stages of this fight, like mm -hmm. way over swinging. And they, they mentioned a, a reach pretty big reach differential and Petrosky's a guy that actually has small a, a short reach 
for a guy that's up in that division. And it looked like him. He just couldn't. Like he had a lot of trouble finding Mearshart, and Mearshart's like always been a guy that if he just wanted to go punch him, you can't, you could. Yeah, um, everybody punches Jared Mearshart. It's a um, it's right of passage. Yeah, like he's just like one of the just. And I do think Petrosky has a ceiling. And here you go, dude. If you really want the bow nickel fight, you want to fight. There you go. Yeah, Petrosky, because of some weird confusion with the regulators getting the score to Bruce Buffer didn't get his post-fight interview. That same I mean, as <laughs> Yeah. Cause all, all <laughs> indications were that he was going to call out Bo nickel. I don't think he wants that. I mean, no, I, I think he probably wants it, but I'd like speaking objectively. I, I don't think his career wants that. Uh, Alan McDonald, kind of says it real well i think here petrosky is walking a tighter and tighter tightrope the more he gets moved up the rankings he's going to get blasted into kingdom come at some point eventually i agree uh be, and and it's super obvious with him the same way it uh was for his now teammate at henzel gracie philly uh what's his, uh sean brady where i'm like okay yeah sean brady's still undefeated but i can tell what it's going to look like when he loses the first guy that he has a real hard time taking down, he's going to get tired fast and going to be a sitting duck by, you know, the end of the second round. That's how it ended up going. I'm not saying that I'm a genius analyst for figuring that out, just that it was obvious in that case. With Petrosky, yeah, I think it's the first fighter that can kind of keep him trapped on the feet when he doesn't want to be is probably going to be able to find his chin with something nasty. Sure. But, but until he gets super- there... I mean, like, until, uh, uh, go sorry. ahead. No, go no, ahead. Like a, a super slick counter puncher, even just in the first round, the way that he was just whiffing on big overhands, like anyone that can just pull back counter, just bait him into overswinging and can just throw a straight punch. Yeah. And you know, no, completely agree. And we're even talking about people that we don't immediately think of when we think of lights out strikers, like uh, Marvin Vittori would have lanced uh andre petrosky tonight just because sure he, he's a, a pretty buttoned up boxer who looks for the counter you know like sure. mm-hmm. i I, th- I think he would have punched petrosky's face off uh i don't think petrosky might make it to that top five type opponent before we learn that about him but you know what i don't want to rain on this parade anymore right now because he's five and zero in the ufc and he's given us some pretty i mean he's already got some pretty impressive stuff on on his highlight reel including a couple of pretty uncomfortable looking submission so yeah man let him ride andre yeah, petrosky he's winning fights he's, he's winning fights his, he's getting paid you know his win his show and regardless on on what we think he's getting that money either way um good on him but i do agree like you know you have a fight like this with gerald mearshart like you are you went from walking on a row of cinder blocks to maybe now you're walking on a tightrope like it's just yeah. it's gonna get it's gonna end eventually Agreed. Uh, before the Mearshart and Petrosky fight, we had the first two fights on the card, both of which fe- featured a uh, young Brazilian woman named Silva. Uh, the second of the two, Natalia Silva, kind of put the screws to Andrea Lee. Thirty, I mean, pretty obvious. Thirty twenty-seven. If you scored this fight anything other than thirty twenty-seven, let us know. But this seemed real obvious to me, and. Tell me if you see this different, Dev, but for me, the real dynamic of the fight was just that Andrea Lee is really slow. 
she is one that I feel like I've been saying this about her for five years, but she looks like a standout athlete. I mean, she just, I mean, she's big for the division. She's built like an elite athlete, but it simply doesn't translate into the cage. Her, her hands are slow. Mm -hmm. Her feet are slow. Uh, she's physically strong if she can get her hands on you. But if uh, a fighter is as strong as she is or is just bent on denying her those clinch situations, she doesn't have much to offer. Uh, that's what I saw against Silva. D did you have any different takeaways here? You know, I was talking to my, I was actually talking to uh, my buddy Greg that comes on my show every once in a while prior to this. And we were talking about, um, you know, people that just possess like high level athleticism where to be in the top 15 at like men's bantamweight or at men's lightweight or any of like, you've got to be a true athlete plus good. At women's 125, like being a true athlete, like Natalia Silva, like, she's going to have that edge on a lot of people until you like really get her up into the rankings, her speed, her footwork, her kicks. I don't like the way she keeps her head up and down and she kind of keeps her head on a, on a, on a center line, but someone like Andrea Lee just could not even keep up with her for it to make a difference. And Andrea Lee is just like glacially slow. It's, I mean, yeah, she's, it's like she's running, you know, in a in a puddle or in a pool. Like her feet are just stuck in two feet of water below her. It's really weird. No, um, I, I I completely agree. Like, I mean, she has fought both Lauren Murphy and Roxanne Modafferi, and by the eyeball test, has looked like she should be ten times the athlete of either of them. But it's actually it was actually kind of a wash. Both, you know, her corner didn't give her the best advice either. Like. You know, you, you. She didn't even have the ability to, you know, try anything different. There was no plan B. Um, I mean, I'm surprised she didn't go out there and like press more wrestling. You know, maybe just try to change some, make something happen. You had Natalia Silva, Natalia Silva, like you know, just in the danger zone within the black line on the on the cage, but just circling. She couldn't catch her. Nope. <laughs> she could have just. I mean, she pot shot her all night. Like it was. <laughs> The, the last piece of decent advice Andrea Lee got from anybody was divorce the Nazi. Like since then it's been, you know, I don't know where she's getting her advice from, but most of it probably hasn't been good. Jeez, uh, that's terribly funny. Like, I mean, wh when, when Tony Kelly is a, is a substantial upgrade from like your, your last relationship, that's saying something. Uh, before that, our opener, Karini Silva, Marina Moroz in a rematch seven or eight years in the making. I mean, the first time they fought, they were both in their early 20s. They were both, both I think, in their first five career fights. Uh, Moroz won by armbar. And Keith and I both said on the preview, it's completely irrelevant to the fighters they are today. Uh, the, I mean, the only really interesting thing to me here is Moroz tapped out with one second left in the first round. And I i mean, generally speaking, I, I have enough ex experience that, you know, I, I know what's going on in the cage. You know, I, I'm able to just kind of save my fat ass from my couch, you know, whether that particular guillotine is going to get the tap or not. Just, But I do have a, a good friend here locally that I go to as my you know, my, my secret weapon expert, uh, he's a, a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu who 
I don't know how many stripes he has, but you know, he's talking about, you know, maybe going for his black belt within the next year. And so I texted him and, and I said, okay, does that, did that look like Moreau's tapped out from pain or did she look to you to be in actual danger of going out from an air or blood choke? And he, he watched it a couple of times. He's, he's like, he's like the carotid was open on, on the right side and like the fulcrum was over the windpipe. So it was probably just pain. I'm like, yeah, that sucks. Cause you could see that she was kicking herself as soon as she got up. I, I don't think it would have changed the outcome of the fight if she just gutted it out one more second and gone to the second round. But, uh, that's not how fighters think. I'm sure she thought that, oh man, I could have lasted one second and gotten it all back the next round. They don't have a clock like we do. Nope. So they, I mean, and, and when you're in a I position mean, that's shitty, one second's can, a lifetime. They can hear the clapper, but you know what? When Karini Silva is all over the top of you like a rabid wolverine and is grabbing at your neck, that 10 seconds might feel like, sure, like five minutes for all I know. Like, I'm not a professional mixed martial artist, but I wrestled for a long time. And I remember my coaches yelling at me short time, short time. And that last 10 seconds feeling like it was an hour, uh, you know, or, or if I was winning, feeling like I had no time at all to, you know, to finish. But yeah, I mean, that's, that was really my only takeaway. Like Silva was badly outclassing her. Yeah. Silva is, is another one of those just like athletes that is probably going to, you know, cause some problems in that division. I, she need, I know she's had fights at 35. She needs to just stay at 25. It's, you know, I, I don't know what, what 35 looks like in the UFC, you know, 135. And in the next five years, there's definitely a path for longevity at 125 for her. I think she can be a problem. She looks good. Um, you know, the, the original strike that hurt Moreau's, um, Silva's just improved and she's continuing to make improvements and, her submission game is just deadly. The one prior to this where she, you know, ripped her opponent's knee apart. She's vicious, dude. Like, this is what we want. Like, open the card, go out there and kind of get a club and sub. Like, it's a dope. She has, uh, if you include her contender series fight, four straight uh, submissions in the octagon. The three in the actual UFC have all been in the first round. She is a woman to watch in a wide open division. Yeah. Uh, and it's wide open enough that I mean, she might be looking at a top 15 opponent sooner rather than later. Uh, that's the breakdown of UFC 292. Uh, we've talked about all 12 fights at this point. Let's move on to some fun stuff. Do you, Devin Tejada, have anybody on your cut list? Oh, man. Um, this is not like last week's card. That's for for damn sure. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave uh, Tululin his walking papers really at all. Um, I don't know what they'll do with Andrea Lee, but you know, she, she seems like she'll probably fight her career out here, but I wouldn't be upset if she went on her way. Um, obviously the, the losers of the ultimate fighter are kind of automatically on the cut list. Right. Yeah. Um, but probably, probably to Lulin and, Brad Savaris lost this fight. He probably would have got cut. I can actually see that. I mean, I wouldn't have put him on my cut list, but I, I could see the UFC doing it. The only ones I had on my cut list for tonight were Andrea Lee and Dennis Tululin. Uh, Tululin is now one and three in the UFC. His losses have all been bad. Um, and 
Lee, I mean, she's lost three in a row. She's lost six of her last eight. She's, and she's not getting better. Like she is what she is. And she's at the age where she's going to start sliding even from that spot. I can see the UFC keeping her just because 125 is aging and it's kind of depopulated right now. And they could use her as, you know, somebody with a certain amount of name recognition to pit more of the Karini Silvas of the world against, but competitively I, I could see her go and I, I wouldn't, uh, uh, a lot of people in the chat saying Weidman. Oh man. I mean, or more to the point as one foot out the door says, uh, ironically, Weidman should retire. Weidman perhaps should have both feet out the door, starting with the, the one that we're all worried will break again. Uh, yeah. And man, you knew this was coming with Chris Weidman because he's just an, he's an incredibly competitive and confident guy uh, coming into this fight. He was talking about making another run at the title and it wasn't bluster. Like he seriously kind of looked out there at the landscape and was like, I can take all these dudes. He was sitting wherever he was when Alex Pereira beat Israel Adesanya for the title. I mean, hell, he probably still had pins in his legs at the at, leg at the time and like pointing off his couch, like that gif, from once upon a time in Hollywood that has a uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. And it. it's like, you know, pointing at, pointing at the TV, like I could take that guy because he can't wrestle. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't be sad if I did not see Chris Weidman in the octagon again, but I doubt the UFC is going to cut him. And the thing is, Chris Weidman was, was looking at people thinking they can't wrestle, but like, dude, neither can you anymore. Yeah. That's, <laughs> we figured that'd be the last thing to go and but it's gone yeah and and like long gone too that's brad tavares like and they were talking up his takedown defense and you know whatever whatever but like chris weidman's nickname is the all-american yep. like it, it's just so far from that and i hope he does um take this coin and just invest it smart and and not come back because again like you got a softball with with Brad Tavares, like you got a softball and you wouldn't be awarded another one, I don't think. Yeah, that's that's about all I can say about it. Uh, let's talk about what was good and what was bad. You want to stay negative? You want to go positive? Which would you um, like to do first, bulls or bears? Let's do that and we could probably mix the bonuses in with that because if the people that did good probably deserve bonuses right oh did well we... we got we got bonuses we got a fight of the night and two performances of the night let's let's deal with that first okay uh um, okay so friends in the chat we've got a fight of the night we've got two bo uh, performances of the night if you're watching this you probably already know what they are so rather than guessing just uh tell us what you whom you would have given those awards to I, Sean O'Malley and Hobocop probably got performance bonuses. I don't know who got them. And then I'm going to say Gibson Katona got fight of the night. Okay. Uh, Gibson versus Katona did get fight of the night. I mean, that I guess even if I don't think it was a fight of the year type contender, I, you know, uh, totally deserve it. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it was a no brainer for fight of the night and your performances of the night went to Sean O'Malley and to uh Weili Zhang the fairly fairly rare case of a fighter getting performance of the night without getting a finish good uh, for her i mean good for her but you know what 
I always like to see one of those bonuses go to a fighter further down the card for whom it is actually life-changing money. Like Hollaball? Like Hollaball. I mean, I mean Hollaball's already, I mean, he's already getting the six-figure contract, but I mean, it would have been fine for him. Natalia Silva and Karini Silva are both probably making uh, 12 and 12. 50K for them might like double their, you know, might almost double their annual uh, pay this year. Uh, uh, Gregory Rodriguez. Giving young fighters like that the 50K also allows them to actually focus more on training and not have to worry about finances. Like 50K isn't going to make Zhang Weili a a better fighter. 50K might make Karini Silva a better fighter. Yeah. That might give her more time to focus on MMA. Yeah, I, I completely, completely agree on that one. Uh, but those, those are what, uh, what they are. Sure. Uh, one foot out the door likes Karini and O'Malley for the uh, performance uh, bonuses. Yeah. Those are actually the two I'd probably give it to as well. I mean, either that or, you know, maybe a Rodriguez. I might, you know, put in in there somewhere. Uh. I don't have much else to say about the awards. Uh, do you want to do bulls or bears? Uh, let's. I'm feeling good. Let's... All right. Bulls, things whose stock is up after UFC 292. Do you want to go first? You want me to go first? Um, I'll let you go first. All right. Uh, stock up. Kurt Hollibaugh, after literally a decade and four tries. The man has an official UFC win. He has an official UFC contract. That has got to feel good. I mean, you could you could just tell the joy just kind of radiating off the guy after the fight, you know, even beating someone who, you know, it, it seems had become a friend on the show. That feels good. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they can't all be, you know, Sean O'Malley's up at the top of the card. You know, this is the, the career for a lot of these people. And Kurt Holobaz just had probably the best night of his career. Uh, Gregory Rodriguez. I've already jumped off the Gregory Rodriguez bandwagon as far as somebody who might be a future title challenger at middleweight. So from here until whenever he washes out of the UFC or walks away from the sport, he's basically here to beat the shit out of dudes and hopefully pick up some bonuses. Uh, he did the one, if not the other tonight. So, uh, yeah, great night for Gregory Rodriguez. And while I usually shy away from using the main event participants as bulls or bears. I mean, Sean O'Malley, this was a huge win for him. He's, I mean, he's already a pretty big star. He's already one of the few fighters that kind of gets media attention outside of the combat sports niche, but he, that was helped a ton by him winning the title tonight. Whether you think the stoppage was bunk, whether he loses this title to Marab in his very next fight, he is forever a former undisputed UFC bantamweight champion. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, really good night at the office for Sugar Sean. What do you got? Yeah, he's got to be at the top of everyone's bull list. I mean, this is a guy, a pretty big underdog, and we've had some underdogs do some big things in, in main events and big opportunities like uh, Alexa Grasso you know, finishing Shevchenko and then now this, like, and if you really poke through and look at Aljamain's title fights, you know, you you can kind of put an asterisk next to all of them. And then for poor Aljo, it kind of ends like this. I feel for the guy, but O'Malley definitely did his thing. Um, 
shout out to the Silvas, like just both Silvas, Karini and Natalia. Um, they kicked ass. I, I was going to shout out Hobocop. I'm going to shout out Zhang Wei Li. Um, just for a. Amanda Lemos is dangerous. And she just went out there and whipped her ass. Mm-hmm. Like, this was just a, just a, I mean, and she showed a new wrinkle like this. Wrestling was very different than what she did to Rose Namajunas. Like she was d- damaging with the ground and pound. Um, big shout out to Zhang Weili. She looked great here. Agreed. Uh, for the good, we must counterbalance with the bad. Let's talk about the Bears. That is, of course, things whose stock was down after UFC 292. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Um, I'll go first on this one. All right. Um. Ray Longo, Sarah Longo, MMA. Not a good night for those guys. Oh. Um, nope. Weidman just looked bad. You know, and then Aljo kind of got sparked out. That's just not, not a good look. Uh, Andrea Lee, she's got Tony Kelly to go home to, and she lost this fight. That's that good and then number one or number three however you want to call it just the weird wonky scorecards man like what just tonight had some weird just some weird scorecards weird stuff going on um so many like a ton of weird ton of weird officiating tonight and then also too um keith was it keith lee who whatever Whatever ref was allowing Gary to just have his, I'm saying Keith Lee, um, Keith Peterson allowing him having to have his arm outside of the octagon, like hooking the octagon, like what was yeah. it? Just all weird, like weird. The athletic commission was weird tonight, man. It it was, and normally I wouldn't put officiating on the Bears list because if I start. It could be every single week, but here it was a weird thing where I don't know if there was something in the water at TD Garden, but. We had a bunch of weird scorecards handed in all by different judges. We had a bunch of officiating weirdness all by different refs. So, uh, yeah, equal opportunity night for just questionable fight-altering uh, referee and judge uh, work. So that that is that is unfortunate. Was that all three for you? Um, yeah, and you said something was in the water in Boston. It was tea. There, there you go. Like, <laughs> I mean, should... <laughs> <laughs> uh other other bears that i'll throw out there amanda lemos it's yeah. rough when you you make it to the summit of the hill you get turned away in such lopsided fashion that the only notes you can take back to camp are get better at everything oh and by the way the woman who whooped your ass is is several years younger than you i mean that's that's gotta be a discouraging feeling like the the takeaway isn't oh keep your chin tucked or work on your takedown defense it is literally just get better at everything rough night at the office for amanda lamos uh i will throw it uh in as well marina morose even if i didn't think you were gonna win the fight if you stuck around to the end uh, of that first round that's still a tough look and it just it has to be a rough feeling 
to get handled by somebody that you tapped out with ease the first time you met them, just kind of an indicator of how much progress they have made and you have not. Uh, number one, it'd be super obvious to say Sterling, but you know what? Sterling at least has plenty of, of ways forward. He could start banging the drum for an immediate rematch. He could fight another contender at 135. He could move up to 145. And even if he doesn't get an immediate title shot now, since he's not a sitting champ, probably still would still fight a, a top five guy in his first fight. So I don't think we've heard the last of Aljamain Sterling as a factor in various UFC title pictures. So uh, instead, I will throw out Neil Magny. Oh, yeah. Uh, Magny, one of the ultimate just, you know, road warriors, gatekeepers, longtime fringe contenders, uh, just one of the most likable fighters in UFC history, has had a few bad losses along the way. But in some ways, this one might have been the worst. Because plenty of fighters have beaten him. Some have beaten him really badly. But this might be the fight where he had the least to offer back. I mean, unless you count ones where he just got blown out in like two minutes. But here he had 15 minutes to do something and just didn't. Got completely dominated. That's that's a rough look. Uh, and it's made worse because for the first time, this is a fight that he seemed to really care a lot about. Like he actually was kind of personally invested in it. And... Uh, whatever he was hoping to get out of it, he did not. He had no success anywhere. Nope. Like, he just got shit kicked everywhere. Yeah. Even in the clinch, like outside of, you know, Gary's cage hooking. Um, yeah, he just, his leg, the biggest bear of the night. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's arguable that like Chris Weidman didn't even have the diciest looking lower leg at the end of the night. That's saying a lot. Uh, all right. What is your letter grade for the card? I'm going to give it a B plus or an A minus. It's a good card. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm comfortable with a, a B plus. I have just the slightest bit of disappointment at the way the main event ended. You know, it's not, I don't think it's going to go on my robbery of the year list, but, you know, definitely just a bit of disappointment. And that sours what otherwise was headed towards being an A card for me. Uh, I get a a C from Jade Bunk. Jade is is whew, rough. RC Kim gives it a B. True gives it a B minus. Jeff Pelton, B. Alan McDonald gives it a B minus. Uh, Chris Wiz points out that Magny did take the fight on short notice. I agree, but you know what? You take the fight on short notice, you're getting the paycheck. I mean, it, it kind of is what it is, you know? Yeah. Uh, the real question to me is, like, how much better would Magni have looked, if at all, on a, on a full camp? That That's kind of an intriguing question. Uh, who is your listener of the night, Dev? Gosh, everyone's been in here firing off. One foot off the door has been in here all all these guys in here are just OGs of the chat at this point. Um, if you made it this far, you're a winner in my book. Um, I can't even name one there. It's just, it's, it's all the OGs in here tonight. Um, shout out to everyone that listened. Dev is chicken. There has to be a, a, a winner. Um, I mean, I'm tempted to give it to, to RC just for 
outlining the theoretical <laughs> tough season from hell, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, I don't know if he or she is still around, but uh, Ninja Kitty made me laugh several times. So in a very crowded field, because I mean, Jade, Kyle, RC, Bob Timpson, uh, Chris Wiz, Marcus Mustard, I know I had to tap out a little earlier. We had uh, like just a whole cast of our uh, of our OGs here, but yeah, uh, that that's my call. And that is it. What do we got next week? More UFC fights. Singapore. Singapore. Oh, the, oh, how could I forget? I got to be up at four in the morning uh, to do the play-by-play. All right. So, yeah. UFC fight night. Holloway versus Korean Zombie is uh, next Saturday from Singapore Indoor Stadium. UFC is going to go tromp on some one championship territory as that <laughs> is one championship's de, fac- de facto headquarters. I mean, it would be literally like uh, one championship putting on something in T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. Like, it's their de facto home base and it's headlined by uh Holloway versus Jung and got as many Asians and you know Pacific Islanders as they could possibly find. So look out for the preview for that from Keith and me. Uh hopefully first thing Monday morning. Look out for the Check the Kick podcast from Dev uh first thing Tuesday morning. If you're still listening right now, thank you for hanging out with us as always. Uh have a great evening and we'll see you guys soon. <laughs>